0: But if you have a copy of God's Word, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14. Isn't it a great privilege that we have the Word of God? And that we get to open it this morning and hear from Him. As you're turning there, I want you to go back in your mind to when you first learned to swim. Swim. Think about when you first learned to swim. Maybe you were taking swim lessons. Maybe someone just threw you in the lake. I'm not sure exactly how it worked for you. But when you first took swim lessons. Now typically when you teach a kid to swim, do you start them in the shallow end or the deep end? You typically start them in the shallow end. And and they work their way from the shallow end to the deep end. Now have you all heard of this thing called the kiddie pool? There's a thing called the kiddie pool that sometimes they start in. And that's fine, isn't it? That kids start swimming in a kiddie pool or in a shallow end. That's totally fine. No problem. But it's a little strange if you see a 25-year-old man in the kiddie pool, isn't it? You probably should call the authorities. And it's sometimes strange to see a grown man not be able to swim. This happened to me recently. In our church, we have a discipleship pastor. His name is Julian. And Julian and uh, we were going over with other, other staff members to their home for a, for a party last July 4th. And we were all swimming at their house. And I'm swimming with my son and another one of our pastors swimming with his son. And then I see Julian get in and he has his daughter. But they won't ever come down where we are in the deep end. They just keep staying in the shallow end. And I'm like, y'all, come down here, come down here. And he just kept, keeps going, I don't know. No. Well, he comes down a little bit, and I see him doing this number. Like, like, kind of like a, you know what they call the doggy paddle? But it's like a wounded doggy paddle. And he's trying, but he's, he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm like, Julian, do you not know how to swim? He goes, not really. He said, I did take lessons. Um, He's 40 years old, and he goes, I did take lessons a couple years back, but I felt really weird when this 15-year-old girl was teaching me uh, swim lessons, calling me Mr. Julian. I thought, it is a little strange when we don't know how to swim, because we've aged, but we've never really learned how to do it. It's strange when someone who is older has to stay in the shallow end. You see, this is actually a similar problem to what the church, that the writer of Hebrews that he's writing to, a problem that they're facing. They've actually been Christians for a while, but the problem is they're still in the shallow end. They have not learned to swim in the deep end of Christianity. They're still in the shallow end. The, the audience of this letter is a Hellenistic, a Greek-speaking Jewish community. They'd grown up in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament system, but they had heard about Jesus Christ. they had heard about what He had done at the cross, and they had repented of their sins, and they had placed their faith in the Messiah, and had turned to Christ for salvation. But now their families are disowning them for following Christ. The government is beginning to persecute this little church, start arresting its members and throwing them in prison. And now this group is tempted to then abandon their faith. They're tempted to go back on what they had believed. And some of them are thinking about going back to the Old Covenant. They want to go back to the temple. They want to go back to the sacrifices. They want to go back. And they're tempted. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to them to say, Don't go back. What you have is actually better. And he's going to tell them that in a hostile culture, in a place where the government is pressing down on them and their family wants them to abandon the faith, that if they are going to survive and thrive in a hostile culture, you've got to learn to swim the deep end of Christianity. Shallow Christianity won't cut it in a hostile world. The context of this letter is that the writer has been making this case he says Jesus is greater than the revelation in the Old Testament. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Joshua. Jesus is greater than the high priest of old. And in chapters 4 and 5, he's making this argument that Jesus is like the Old Testament priest and that he makes sacrifices and atonement, but he's unlike the Old Testament priest. That The Old Testament priest had to use the blood of an animal, right? But Jesus doesn't use the blood of an animal, does he? He uses his own Blood, And he says, Jesus didn't make a sacrifice in the earthly temple, but Jesus took his blood where? Straight to the heavenly places, to the altar of God in heaven. And therefore, the blood that he spilled is better than the blood of old. He is a priest that is greater than the priest of old. He's a temple greater than the temple of old. And therefore, he's arguing this, that Jesus is the true high priest. And in this passage, he says, Well, how then is Jesus qualified as a priest? He wasn't in the line of Aaron like in the Old Testament. And the writer says, well, he's actually a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the most interesting, unknown figure in the Bible. He's so interesting because his name means king of righteousness. And he shows up in Genesis 14, and he's a priest. But if you know your Bible, you know that the priests don't come until way after this in the story. So he's a priest before priest. And he's a king. And he's a king of a place called Salem. Now you may know Salem because it eventually turns into another city. It adds a prefix to it. Eventually Salem becomes Jerusalem. So he was the king of Jerusalem before Jerusalem was even Jerusalem. And he serves bread and wine to Abraham. And the author is saying... Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek. And therefore, he is a king and a priest. And like Melchizedek, he has no one who comes after him. Now you may be thinking, well, that's kind of complicated. That's kind of a complicated concept, and that's exactly what the writer says. He says, I want to tell you more about Melchizedek, but here's the problem. You're not ready for it. I want to take you deeper, but you're still in the shallow end. And so he gives us these comments. In Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, he's going to say, let's go deeper together. Let's read our text. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let us pray together. Father, we ask for you to bless this time of opening your word. This challenge from your word, this warning against spiritual shallowness. May each person here today hear this word and apply it to their lives. You are calling each of us to go deeper this morning. May we all hear the voice of our great shepherd. Take a step further to the deep end. Because we know that the water is fine. Because it is the water is under the rule of King Jesus. May we do so for the glory of God. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. The problem of spiritual shallowness isn't just a first century Hebrew church problem, is it? It's a problem we face today. I actually believe that spiritual shallowness may be the biggest challenge facing the American evangelical church in the 21st century. God inspired these words then for them. He's inspiring these words for us today. So I want to challenge you. Would you examine yourself to ask the question, am I swimming in the deep end of Christianity? Did you know that it's actually God's desire for every follower to swim in the deep end? And by the deep end, I mean maturity in Christ. Did you know that God desires you to be mature in Christ? Here's what Colossians 1.28 tells us. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone, That we may present, who? Everyone mature in Christ. This is the pastor's job description. Brent has been called to look over your souls to see you become mature in Christ. So my question to you is simple. Do you want to become everything that God wants you to be in this life? Do you want to become everything that God wants you to be? If so... We've got to go to the deep end. So this morning in this text, I believe that the writer gives us four signs or four symptoms of spiritual shallowness. We'll walk through the text together. Four symptoms of spiritual shallowness. Things that were going on in that early church. He says first, he said, they have a problem because they're spiritually apathetic. They're spiritually apathetic. And he says in verse 11, about this, we have much to say. About what? Well, about Melchizedek and his priesthood. And we can understand at this point, right? Because we get this is a complicated subject. This is difficult to understand. And we might think, we get why this is hard to explain. But he's going to tell us it's hard to explain, not because the content's too difficult for the people. He's saying this content that God has inspired is not too difficult for you. He says, But instead, he says, the problem, the reason it's hard to explain is why. Since you have become dull of hearing. I grew up in Arkansas. Woo pig suey, by the way, on that. And we had a phrase that we said someone is, they say, when you went to see your grandfather or great grandfather, they might say, "Um, son, speak up. He's hard of hearing, hard of hearing. But they meant as hard of hearing. But they said hard of hearing. And he's saying to these people, you have become spiritually hard of hearing. It's going in one ear but out the other. You're dull of hearing. Now my kids, we like to watch Charlie Brown together. Any of you all ever watch Charlie Brown? That guy's got it rough, doesn't he? Man, that football, every year I think he's going to get to kick the football, but he never does. But you know the character that always stands out to me in Charlie Brown? The teacher. You know, he goes to school. And he gets there, and what does the teacher say? Wah, 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 You see, the writer is saying that the Hebrew church is hearing the word of God, but it's coming to them as... Wah, 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 wah. It's going in one ear and out the other. They become dull of hearing. He's saying, I want to tell you such great mysteries of the faith about how Jesus is the better Melchizedek, how Jesus is the true king priest, and there's no one like him, but you're having a hard time getting this because you have become dull of hearing and you've become spiritually apathetic. He's saying you're showing up to church each Sunday. You're hearing the word taught, but you're not really listening. You're disinterested in the deeper things of God. In other words, he says, you're all fine staying in the shallow end. But this sums up a lot of modern evangelicalism. Because we have a lot of people who claim to follow Christ, but are just happy there in the shallow end. I want to share with you an article from Albert Moeller, president of Southern Seminary about what he says. He wrote an article in 2016 called The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy. Let me share it with you. He says, while American evangelical Christians are rightly concerned about the secular worldview's rejection, of biblical Christianity, we ought to give some urgent attention to a problem much closer to home. Biblical illiteracy in the church. The scandalous problem, he says, is our own, and it's up to us to fix it. So catch us. Here's what some researchers have to say. They say Americans revere the Bible, but by and large they don't read it. Because they don't read it, we have become a nation of biblical illiterates. How bad is it? Here's what the researchers say. Fewer than half of all adults in America can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to the Barner Research Group, 60 percent of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. They say, no wonder we break the Ten Commandments all the time. We don't even know what they are. Multiple surveys reveal the problem in stark terms. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Newsflash, it is not. But Christians did better, born-again Christians. Only 81% of them thought it was in the Bible. Some of the statistics are even more perplexing. One poll suggests that 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another 5% believe Sodom and Gomorrah were married. And several believe that Billy Graham preached the Sermon on the Mount. This article says, we are in big trouble. And here's what Albert Moeller summarizes at the end. He says, we will not believe more than we know. We will not live higher than our beliefs. The many fronts of Christian compromise in this generation can be directly traced to biblical illiteracy in the pews and the absence of biblical preaching and teaching in our homes and churches. You see, brothers and sisters, the main problem of people not knowing the Bible in our world is not Disney. It is not Hollywood. The problem with people not knowing the Bible in America, the problem begins in the pew and in the home, and the solution begins there too. We can't just swim, shallow in. See, they were spiritually apathetic, but... They were also spiritually behind. Point number two, they were spiritually behind. Verse 12. For though by this time, he tells them, you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. They've been following Jesus for a while now. He says, you ought to be further along. You are spiritually behind. To continue the metaphor, he says, you've been going to swimming lessons every week for five years and you're still in the shallow end. You've been going for five years but you still can't swim. He says, "You, after five years of swim lessons, you should be able to teach swim lessons to your grandchildren. After five lit years of swim lessons, you should be able to teach your own children how to swim. You should be able to take someone else out to coffee and teach them how to swim. You should be able to teach others how to swim how to swim if you have been swimming and in swim lessons for five years. He says, you're not far enough along. You're spiritually behind. I want you to think about two different students. They go to college, and we're in an advanced trigonometry class. All right. Some of you are thinking, that is what I had a nightmare about last night, right? Advanced trigonometry. So you're in advanced trig, you have two students. There's one student who wants to be a trigonometry professor. He loves it. And he's coming in, and he is ready to learn, and he one day wants to teach trigonometry. Over here, we have another student. Let's imagine this at the Ohio State University. And he's a football player. And this is the only class that happened to meet his schedule where he can make it to practice. And so he goes, all right, advanced trig, I'll do it. And so he comes into advanced trig and he's sitting there and he's ready for the he's ready for the lesson that day. Do you think there's a difference between how those two people approach the class? The football player who's just there because it fits his schedule, who's just ready to get out and get to practice, and then the student who wants to teach trig one day. There's a difference in the posture of the students, isn't there? My question is, every Sunday when you come to church, are you like the student who's ready to learn because one day you're going to teach it to someone else? A student, or a grandchild, or a friend? Or are you like the football player who can't wait to get out of class because football's starting pretty soon? You see, when we come to church, there are many things we come as. We come as students. Of God's Word. And he says they are spiritually behind where they should be. They should be able to teach one another. So so think about it like this. Every time you come to church, you are not just coming for you. You are coming to learn every Sunday school class. You might teach someone else. You might better disciple your family. Students, every time you come to church, you are learning that one day when you're in college, you may be able to share your faith with a friend. One day you may be a mom or dad sharing with your, student, with your child. Every time we learn, it is never just for us. It is always that we might learn to be able to disciple, to teach others. And he's telling them, all of you should have been teachers by now. All of you, and he doesn't mean formal teachers. He means those who are sharing their faith, discipling others. He says, that's what you should be doing now. But instead, we're having to bring and do Gospel 101 basics again. We're having to go back to the foundation again. So he says, you should be further along. This is why being in church is so important. Why Sunday school is so important. Y'all have D groups. Being in a D group is so important. But I want to say a, a word to those who may feel spiritually behind. Truth is, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all shown up to a Sunday school class where someone knows a lot more than us. You go to some Sunday school class, you're like, huh, you didn't know Methuselah was the oldest man in the Bible? Oh, you didn't know that Sarah was the, old, the most mentioned woman in the Bible? Like, like, who knows that stuff, right? And so you're like, man, these people must know a lot more than me. Truth is this, there will always be someone who is further ahead of you in their spiritual journey. There will always be someone who's behind you. And if that's the case, you're exactly where God wants you to be. So I want to encourage you. You may feel spiritually behind this morning. Welcome to the club. But don't stay there. Let's get growing. Let's go to the deep in. And he's not writing to make them feel bad. He's not trying to say, well, you should be teachers by now, and you're not, and you so you should feel really bad about it. No, he's going, he's going guys, you are still at the shallow end. Let's go. Let's go. Come on deeper. Come on deeper. Let's go together. Let's go to the deeper things that you were made for. So they were spiritually apathetic. They were spiritually behind. And thirdly, he said, they're spiritually immature. They're spiritually immature. We'll see this in verses 12 and 13. He says, You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Now, this is a shocking illustration. Usually in the Bible, the writer doesn't insult his audience, but he does here, doesn't he? He says, y'all are acting like babies. You are spiritual babies when you should be spiritual adults. Now, we love babies in our service at our church. We love it. I, You know, sometimes babies cry during sermons. And what a great joy when you have that. We love it. We love it. But you know, sometimes I'll be preaching, and I'll look out, and I'll see a baby cry. And I'll see a mom reach a bottle over start feeding the baby. That's perfectly great, isn't it? But how weird would it be if there was a man, his wife, and their child that... Um, She looked over instead of handing the bottle to the baby, she handed it to her husband. And he started drinking it. We would all be a little creeped out by that, wouldn't we? Rightfully so. And the writer is saying, look, you are still on milk when you should be on solid food. You are still, you are like men who have are still on the bottle when you should be eating steak. And so he's saying, You do not, you're not going for meat. You're instead still in the shallow end. You're still on this milk he's saying they don't have an appetite for the deep things of God often my wife and I will talk about where we're going to go eat I will tell you there is nothing that it caused more fights in our marriage than where we were going to go eat anybody relate to that so here's how it goes hey uh, what are you hungry for oh anything she'll say anything she'll say well how about we go to this place Actually, I was not thinking that tonight, right? Well, what about this? Well, you know, actually, you know, y- y'all know how that goes. But we always ask, what are you hungry for? What do we ask when we ask that? What is your appetite? What desire do you have at, at this level that's even deeper than what you can even say? And so what the writer is looking at them and he's saying, what are you hungry for? Are you hungry for milk? Are you hungry for meat of the word? Do you want the shallow things or do you want the deep things of God? What are you hungry for? Brent and I knew a pastor once who was shepherding this church and he was having a hard time. And some of the people came to him and said, You would make a great seminary professor. Y'all know what that means? We don't think you're a great preacher. And so that's what they told him. You'd be a great seminary professor. And they were upset with him. And one man came up to him one night and said, Pastor, sometimes we just need some milk. Not realizing what that actually was revealing about his own heart. Because actually, what should the people be crying for from their pastor? Give us meat. Give us the deep things of God. But he said, Pastor, your, your preaching's too deep. We need the milk. And what he was really saying is, Hey, pastor, do you not remember I'm a spiritual baby? And that's what I need. You see, actually, we need something greater than milk. We need the meat of God's word. You see, you can know the Bible without being spiritually mature. You can know a lot about the Bible. You know a lot about facts about the Bible. You can know a lot about the Bible, but not be mature. But catch this. You can't be spiritually mature without knowing the Bible. Can't be spiritually mature without knowing God's word. And these people were still on the milk. They hadn't gone to the solid food. But this text isn't designed to make them feel guilty. This text is to make them feel hungry, hungry for God's word. Now, have any of y'all ever been? Y'all don't do this, I'm sure, but I do this. About 11 o'clock, you're watching TV, and a commercial will come on for Taco Bell. They will advertise one of their new creations. And somehow it has a tortilla, it has meat and cheese, and somehow they've repackaged those essential ingredients into a new thing called the Cheesy Gordita Crunch Doritos Loco style or whatever. All right, and so they get it. And it somehow, those, those people who are in charge of these Taco Bell commercials are amazing because they make that thing look delicious, don't they? But then when you go and get it, it never delivers. But here's the thing. What the writer is wanting to do to them and what I want to do to you, for you today is to say, like an advertisement for that Taco Bell, I want to say, quit just drinking milk because when you taste of the meat of God's Word, there's no going back. They were spiritually immature and they needed solid food. But lastly, he tells them that they were spiritually undiscerning. That's the fourth symptom. They were spiritually undiscerning. He said, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, mature Christians swim in the deep end. And mature Christians know the difference between good and evil. They're discerning. So The opposite is true. That those who swim in the shallow wind are not going to be very discerning. They're going to be pulled and they're going to go with every wind of the world. Spiritually undiscerning. This is why the writer is so concerned for this Hebrew church. He says, you're facing a hostile culture. Your families are trying to get you to compromise on Christianity. The culture wants you to abandon it. There's pressure all around. And you are going to have this pressure. And if you're in the shallow water, you know what's going to happen? You're not going to last. You're not going to last in a world that wants you to compromise. You have to be in the deep waters. Students, you're going to move away from your families at some point. You're going to go to college. You're going to go get jobs, and the pressure of the world is going to come upon you. If you are not deep in your faith. That is going. That the cultural winds are going to be so strong. So you must be deeply rooted in God's word. And this happens all over the political spectrum. Think about how this happens on an issue like human sexuality. Recently, I don't know if you watched the hearings of the newest Supreme Court justice nominee, he was asked a question that any kindergartner could answer. What is a woman? He could not answer. He said, I am not a biologist. I'm not a biologist, but I did go to seminary. I know what a woman is. And here's the thing. Our world on that issue is increasingly blowing the winds for us to compromise on that. We're not deep. We're not eating the meat. It'd be easy for those in the shallow end to drift with the culture. Let me give you a practical example. When students go to college, and often when they go to a public university, for the first time they will meet intellectual people who are not Christians, and they will begin to make arguments against their faith. And let's take the issue, let's continue the idea of sexuality, let's take the issue of homosexuality. And a student goes to college, they get there and they meet a professor or a friend who begins to tell them, they say, listen, do you really believe that homosexuality is wrong? I mean, Jesus doesn't mention it very often, and I mean, that's really an Old Testament concept, they might say. I mean, after all, they would say to a student, you don't practice all of the Old Testament laws. Why do you keep that one? Why don't you get rid of that one just like the other ones? And and Jesus is more about love anyways, they might say. So why don't you drift from these principles and say, listen, why don't you take the love of Jesus in the New Testament and let's do away with the commands of the Old Testament against homosexuality just like we got rid of the sacrificial system? Can you see how a student who just showed up to church occasionally would go, That seems kind of right. And after all, I want to be loving, I want to be caring, and the world has told me that the greatest principle is love, and I need to know these. Yeah, I can see how they would compromise on that. But what if students were instead taught to go to the deep end, and they were taught about the Old Testament? Now, the Old Testament commands are actually divided in what's called the uh, the tri-distinction of the law, that there's actually three distinctions, trifold distinction of the law, and that there are civil and ceremonial and... There are moral laws. And that when Jesus came to fulfill the law, he came to fulfill the ceremonial and the civil laws, but the moral laws like the Ten Commandments are still upon his people. And they can easily say, listen, yes, you're right, that was an Old Testament thing, but it wasn't merely a civil or a ceremonial law. It was a moral law, and God's moral laws still stand today. And so they can stand confidently in their faith, not blowing in the wind, because they have been living in the deep end from 7th grade to 12th grade, and in your home, these are people who know how to swim and when someone comes and tells them that Jesus really didn't say this or the Bible doesn't really say this they are not swayed by it because they are deeply rooted in God's word we need to be in the deep end we're going to last in a hostile culture but it's not just on that direction but recently I saw this clip of a woman who had gone to a rally a political rally after this uh, last election and she was being interviewed and she was kind of giving her interpretation of the events and she says i believe god is separating the sheep and the goats and he's doing this through this political stuff and she's saying and, and you know how in what the bible says that about the sheeps and the goats that ultimately god's going to separate the sheep and the goats and that The sheep are those who are God's people. The goats are those who end up going to hell. So this woman, she's on this interview, and she's talking about how the election is stolen, all this different stuff, and then she gets on there and she goes, yeah, and God's separating the sheep and the goats. And the interviewer says, well, which one are you? He goes, well, I'm a goat because I don't follow anyone. I'm not a sheep to the media. I'm not a sheep to them. I'm not a sheep to this. And I'm thinking, oh, my word. He is just quoting the Bible and just said, I want to be the one who goes to hell. You see, she was actually discipled really well in the deep end of her politics. A very shallow in her big biblical understanding. You see, the winds blow on the right, the winds blow on the left, but we have to be the people who have wisdom, not from the left or the right. We need to be the people who have wisdom from where? From above. You see, we must be people who are spiritually deep. Or if you're, not, if you're not in the deep waters, you're, you may be undiscerning and a, a preacher comes along who's pretty slick. Even slicker than Brent, if you can imagine it. There's a pastor, his name is Stephen Furtick. And Stephen Furtick sometimes says things that are way off base. And recently, he said something that was way off base. And I want to share with you what he said. And I want to share with you why it sounds good to the ear, but isn't true. Here's what he said in a sermon recently. He said, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. He says, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that when you follow Jesus, what you find out is that God loves you exactly the way you are, and he isn't going to change you. All you have to do is embrace the love. When Jesus Christ saved me, you know what happened? I once was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I once was deaf, but now I hear the shepherd's voice. I once was dead, but now I am alive. When I followed Jesus, something changed inside of me. You see, it's so subtle. but What we have to understand is that if we are not deep in the Word of God, it will be easy for us to compromise. In the book, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, there's a character named Worldly Wise Man. And he's giving advice to the main character about what worldly wisdom says. And I'm afraid that the church has gotten way too concerned with worldly wisdom. What the church doesn't need is more worldly wisdom, does it? What the church needs is more wisdom revealed by God through the Word of God. We need more Bible bleeding through us. So this church had four problems. They were spiritually shallow, and it showed up by being spiritually apathetic. They were spiritually behind, spiritually immature, and they were spiritually undiscerning. I believe all of those things are facing the church today. Here's how one writer sums it up, J.T. English, in his book, Deep Discipleship. Here's what he says. He says, people are leaving the church not because we've asked too much of them, but because we have not asked too Enough of them. We are giving people a shallow and generic spirituality when we need to give them distinctive Christianity. We have tried to treat our discipleship disease by appealing to the lowest common denominator, oversimplifying discipleship, and taking the edges off of what it means to follow Christ. In other words, we have not challenged people enough to go to the deep. Brothers and sisters, in a world that wants us to compromise, we must stand firm by knowing the Word of God and challenging one another to go to the deep end. Now, you may be saying, well, well, that all sounds good. I want to be a deep Christian. I want to become the person that God wants me to be. How do I do that? How do I actually take my next step into the deep end? I want to give you six practical ways real quickly of how you can go deeper in your faith. Number one, show up consistently. Show up consistently. If you're taking swim lessons, but you don't go every week, you only go to the every fourth one, probably not going to learn to swim that quickly, are you? Show up consistently. The more you swim, the more comfortable you will be in it. So show up consistently to church and to Sunday school and community group or D groups or... Whatever place where you can grow in Christ. But don't just show up. But be fully engaged. Be fully engaged. Bring a notebook. Bring a pen. Take notes. Remember the idea of the posture of the student who's preparing to teach. Be fully engaged. And then talk with others. Talk with others. The way that I learn the best is by talking about what I'm reading or learning with someone else. When I talk with someone about something after that I just learned, I'll remember it for months on end. Often I'll learn something, I'll call Brent and we'll talk about it. Because talking about what we're learning helps us remember it. Fourthly, be in community. Be in community. I can't stress this enough, but if we want to go into the deep end, we have to go together. Be in community. Have you ever seen a kid who's at the pool? but they're not so sure about getting in the deep end, they're watching, and maybe a bunch of other kids their age come along and all dive in. Do you know what will pressure a kid to jump into that deep end more quickly? Seeing other kids do it, because they want to be like the big kids, don't they? Being in community is like that. It's encouraging one another to go swim more deeply. It's reading together, studying together. Hey, what did you learn together? These D groups that y'all are doing are amazing. where well, you're getting together to discuss gentle and lowly, what a life-changing book. And you're talking through the gospel of Luke. What an amazing thing. Be in community with one another. And then fi- fifthly, find good resources. Find good resources. Read good books. You have a resource wall out here. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. There's a great book out there called God's Big Picture by Von Roberts. If you think... Man, I want to go deeper, but I really don't understand the Bible. I don't understand how it's put together. Go buy that book today. Take it home with you and read it. You will understand the whole storyline of Scripture so much more clearly. Find good resources. Read good books. Listen to good podcasts. Listen to sermons. Go deeper in your faith. Now, some of you are saying, I understand I should do that, but I really don't want to. I'm more into my video games. I'm more into what I like to do. I'm not so sure about spending time going deeply in my faith. Well, then, number six is for you. Pray for the desire to go deeper. Pray for the desire to go deeper. When you don't feel it, pray for the desire to go deeper. Sometimes in a sermon like this, you have people who are ready to go. Then other people who go, I know I should. I'm just not ready. I would just ask you to take the step this morning of praying that God will change your desire to go deeper in your faith. Last summer, my wife and I went to Hawaii for a vacation. And, you know, when you're there, you start looking at the little brochures at the hotel. And I saw something I couldn't get my eye off of. It said, submarine ride. I started thinking, I've never been on a submarine. I would like to go on a submarine ride. So we sign up to go in the submarine. Didn't really know what to expect, but this we, we go and we get in a boat there on the dock there on Waikiki Beach, and we take this boat out to the to a few miles out into the ocean. And I'm thinking, well, where's the submarine? You know where the submarine was? Under the water. And all of a sudden, the submarine just pops up. And then we transfer from the boat to the submarine. We go sit in the submarine. We're going to go down 100 feet to the the bottom of the ocean. And as we began the descent, it's amazing. Go down about 10 feet, see the bottom of the boat. Start seeing some fish, you see some different things. We go down another 20 feet and you start seeing more life. Then we went a little deeper and About 50 feet, you can't see the light as much from the sun, as much anymore. Fish get a little bigger. Go about 30 feet deeper. Start seeing how there are some sunken ships down there. Pools of fish all through them. Then you look out, get down about 100 feet, start seeing the bottom. Perfectly clear. And all of a sudden, you see right out the window a shark swimming right at you. This is amazing. You see, what was actually amazing about it was the deeper we went, the more we could see. The deeper we went, the more clear things became. The deeper we went, the more different species we could see. The deeper we went, there was actually more down there than I ever could imagine. It's like a whole other planet at the bottom of the ocean. You see, the deeper you go, the more you can see. The deeper you go in your walk with the Lord, the deeper you go in your knowledge of Scripture, the deeper you go in theology, the deeper you go, the more, brothers and sisters, I promise you will see of the glory and beauty of God and who doesn't want to see that but you can't do it if you only stay in the shallow end so my question to you is simple this morning two questions what are you hungry for now you're saying a cheesy gordita crunch but are you hungry for meat are you hungry for milk are you content staying in the shallow end or do you want to become everything that God intends for you to become? you want to become the mom and dad who can disciple their kids? Do you want to become the granddad and the grandma who can disciple their grandchildren? Do you want to become the students who can last in their faith, even amidst all kinds of pressure? Do you want to become type of people who are the people God wants you to be? If so, we've got to lose the floaties. It's time for us to go to the deep end. And we can swim, because that's where our Savior is. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word, even a challenging word like this, that calls us deeper, each step, every day, deeper and deeper into your word and into knowledge of you. Like any good father who wants their children to swim in the deep end, you want us to be there as well. So Father, I pray for each person who's here this morning. I pray that they will have a new resolve this morning, or a deeper resolve, to say, I want to be someone who's not just on milk, but on meat. I want to be someone who's not just spiritually a baby, but I want to grow up in my faith. I may be behind, but I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. I want to keep showing up. Father, I pray that you will help each and every person take the step they need to take this morning and commit to being a Christian who does swim in the deep end of the things of God. May this church be known in this community as if you want to really know God and you really want to know the deep things of God, if you want to know truth you want to know a church that stands on the promises of God, one that stands on the authority, the inerrancy, sufficiency, infallibility of scripture. And they know fellowship is that church in this community. May it be known as the church that sends out students that don't flail in their faith, but stand firm wherever they go. Those people are rooted. Those people love God. They love the deep things of God. Oh, you have a Bible question the community might ask me. They say, well, go to fellowship because those are the people who love the Bible. They bleed it. They're soaked in it. Their souls marinate in it. It's who they are. They love it from cover to cover. May that be true of this beautiful body of believers. Father, if there's someone here who thinks it's I don't know about going deeply. I don't even know you. Father, I pray that you will show them that you can't ever get to the deep end if you never take the first step. And I pray that they will take that first step this morning, stepping that toe in and trusting that Jesus Christ is a good Savior. And Father, I pray for them this morning that you will draw their hearts to you and you will save them in the power of the risen Christ. We pray all of this in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand and respond this morning?